0: Once again, award season is upon us.
1: And now, the five nominees for performance by an actress in a leading role. Here are the nominees for performance by an actor in a leading role. Here are
0: the 10 nominees for best motion picture of the year. Last week, the 2023 Oscar nominations were announced. For the film nerds and the casual viewers, there is so much anticipation around these awards. There are, of course, the crowd favorites. Angela
1: Bassett in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever.
0: And there are surprise underdogs.
1: Andrea Reisborough in To Leslie.
0: Of course, everybody's got an opinion about who deserves to win. But when two of our culture writers look at this year's list of nominees, they see something bigger. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, February 3rd. Today, I asked the posts Anne Hornaday and Sonia Rao for their hot takes on the 2023 Oscars. And we talk about the moments from the past few years that have shaped the movies that we want to see and that we want to recognize. So first, let's have you say who you are and what you do, and Anne, why don't you go first? I'm Anne Hornaday, and I'm
1: the chief film critic at The Washington Post. I'm Sonia Rao, a pop culture reporter at The Washington Post.
0: And we are here to talk about Oscar nominations, um, which I'm very excited about because I have seen I don't know, like quite a few of, the, of these movies, um, many of which have really stayed with me. I've been thinking about them a lot. And I know that you guys both have very strong opinions about the movies that you liked and the movies that you didn't like. But I just want to ask, looking back on the last year, was this a good year for movies?
2: I don't think it was a particularly strong one, frankly. Wow. I, you know, it wasn't—my you know, gauge is always my top 10. And the <laughs> the degree of enthusiasm that I have for that when I— go to make up my list, and how many movies I can't wait to tell people about. And I have to say, the Best Picture nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. And generally in years past, I've been surprised—like, I— I do feel excited, and there are lots of movies that I want to send people to at the end of the year, and the end of last year, I didn't have that feeling. I mean, it was actually really hard to come up with 10, but yeah, I don't think it was a particularly strong year.
0: Well, I want to ask more about that, but Sonia, first for you, do you agree with Anne that this was just not that great of a year for movies?
1: I think a little bit. I think this was a year where there were a few movies I was really passionate about, and I think there were a lot of performances I was passionate about. But the films in which those performances happened were not necessarily my favorite. I think there were a lot of strong actors who were nominated, and that's exciting to see. Um, But if you're looking at the Best Picture nominees, it's not necessarily a year in which I would say, wow, I loved, you know, seven of these ten movies even. I think there's probably fewer than a handful.
0: What what do you think was the theme of the last year of movies? Like, when you look at movies in general, and then these these 10 films that ended up being uh, nominees for Best Picture. I don't know, like, is there is there something there that's like, ah, this is what is in the zeitgeist right now, or this is like a big takeaway we can get from the fact that these are the movies that people watch?
2: Well, I sort of picked up on three, and some of which are reflected in the awards, and some of them... Which aren't, but at the beginning of the, I kind of mark the beginning of the year at Sundance because it happens in January, and you sort of see this new crop of of the the movies that are a lot of movies that are going to be coming out in twenty twenty two. And to me, the overarching theme at Sundance that did play out over the year was women 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 talking. You
0: know, mm-hmm. which is um, the name of one exactly. Of the
2: films. You know, and it was we are now five years out of the Me Too, the beginning of the Me Too movement. So film being a lagging indicator, you know, it takes a few years to get films made about the thing. And now I think we are seeing women really talking about our lives and especially our grievances and our anxieties and our rage and our anger. That was very much a theme at Sundance itself. And then we saw it play out in movies like um, like Women Talking, She Said, I would even put the woman king in that category. Mm-hmm. My
0: king, the Europeans wish to conquer us. They will not stop until the whole of Africa is theirs.
2: So that was interesting to me. I I detected, and I'm actually sort of, I, I, I plan to write a little bit more about this in the next few weeks, Um the grammar was very chaotic, you know? I mean, we saw a lot Wait, what of— what do you mean by that? I mean that there were a lot of nonlinear, frantic, frenetic movies huh. in terms of not just the content but mostly the form. And I'm talking about movies like Everything, Everywhere, All at Once and movies like White Noise and Amsterdam and Nope. I mean, these were all movies that were really all over the place and just in terms of the way they were put together. And I definitely think that is reflective of, of again— The time, you know, I mean, if you go back two years, that was 2020, right? Which Mm -hmm. was such a tumultuous year in so many ways. And I feel like these movies are reflecting a lot of those cultural, social dislocation and kind of confusion and anxiety. And then we saw a lot of movies about movies. You know, we saw these kind of panegyrics to filmmaking, like with the Fablemans and the kind of the romance of cinema. Mm. So I guess those would be the three that really
0: stuck out for me. Interesting. Mm. So from this list of the 10 Best Picture nominees, I first want to talk about the movies that you loved. And Sonia, maybe you can go first. Like, what did, what did you see from this list that really stuck with you?
1: I loved Tar. Mm. I think that was a movie— where, you know, I watched it, I left the theater, I was thinking about it, and then I continued to think about it. I thought about it weeks later. I thought about a specific scene in that movie. Um, that's- and for context,
0: this is, a, this is a film starring Kate Blanchett, and it's about a, a female conductor, right? Like a female mm-hmm. conductor who uh, has <laughs> complicated uh, yeah. relations to the people around
1: her. And I think if we're talking about you know, a film that was released five years post-Me Too, I think this is a really interesting one to look at because it's not necessarily, you know, the man-woman dynamic that I think rose to the forefront of um, the Me Too conversation in 2017. There is So there's that gender element of it. There's also the element of the artistry involved in this conversation. I think it's not necessarily just you know, what does it mean for someone to do this to someone? It's what does it mean for us to allow someone to continue doing this, which I think is kind of the second stage of movies and storytelling about this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I really admired that. I think Kate Blanchett is uniquely equipped to play a character like that. I think she did an amazing job playing Lydia Tarr, this character. Um, But yeah, I think it was just a movie I kept thinking about. And for me, that's always a sign of Good or, you know, interesting. It doesn't have to be a good movie for you to continue thinking about it. Yeah. Um, in this case, I thought it was both. And what about you?
2: I totally agree. On that top ten list I referred to, I did put Top Gun Maverick at the top. Oh,
0: top Gun. I loved
1: that movie. I loved that movie. Okay. Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they going to get to teach us? With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. I just want to manage the expectations. I came out of
0: that theater just like vibrating with excitement and energy okay. after watching that movie. Then you
2: just made my case. That's exactly how I felt. And I and I was so disarmed by it because I was going in with such skepticism and almost cynicism, right? Mm-hmm. Like well,
0: Especially tomorrow. because it's 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 a remake of a, totally. or, or a sequel
2: or whatever. Exactly. Just had all you know, all these marks against it in my book and then it just did what you just described and it was so much fun to watch it with an audience because mm-hmm. the whole audience was just having such a good time and that's what i wanted to recognize with that number 1 slot you know it was like this is the movie that made me feel great mm-hmm. um and then tar was a strong number 2 because i really think that just on a purely like you know cinematic sort of aesthetic level tar was was a better movie in a way it was a more sophisticated movie but Top Gun, it created such pleasure. Yeah. And I just think that is such an underrated thing right now, you know? And it's like, um, I just wanted to to reward it for that.
0: Yeah, I mean, because I, I found it to be like... Technically perfect in many ways. Yeah, yeah. Suspenseful, and then and they're all the you know every plot gets resolved in a way that's like oh my gosh it's all happening it's about teamwork it's about Tom Cruise it's about relationships (laughs) it's It's about like uh you know the military but it's about planes you know and then and it was and
2: it was really well written I'm glad it was recognized in screenplay because. If you go back to that original, I don't consider that original particularly well-written. The, the dialogue real. is
0: so corny. I watched it for so the first cliche. time before Maverick, and right? I was like, this movie is the movie that everyone's been talking about exactly. for decades? And this one just elevated it.
2: I mean, it hit all those same beats. You could tell they went right back to that original to get the beats. But Christopher McQuarrie, who wrote it— He's smart. You know, he's not a dumb cookie. And he just elevated every moment. Like, he just infused it with a lot of intelligence
0: and taste. But do you think that this movie, if it came out five or ten years ago in exactly the way that it did that it did now, um, that it would even be on this list? I mean, I guess how much of this is just the feeling of wanting to reward a cinematic experience— for many people, a cinematic experience in theaters that we just like didn't get to have for the last three years. I, I think that's a point well taken.
2: And I think it's also about saving so you know, like there is that narrative of like it got people back. Well, it's not the only one it did. I mean it did, mm-hmm. but by but I think it's that and it's also just a throwback to a certain kind of movie making that isn't it's about people, you know, it's not about superheroes. It's not this kind of ongoing, never ending saga like a Star Wars or a Marvel or a DC thing. It's just it's this a complete like eighties thing. Um and I just I just think people wanted to reward that part of it too, you know? I don't know.
1: Yeah, and I think I mean everybody has a lot of thoughts about Tom Cruise, probably myself included. But every time he makes a movie, essentially, there are maybe 10 articles produced about how he is our last movie star or something Mm -hmm. of that nature. And you watch a movie like Top Gun Maverick and it feels true, right? Mm -hmm. I do think that Tom Cruise has the ability to carry a movie in a capital M way. Like, I do think, I mean, Mission Impossible Fallout is one of my top five favorite movies, I think. And when people meet me, they don't necessarily expect that. But I do think that there is something to be said about this particular movie being the one to kind of get at that communal theater experience I think you know I mean Avatar The Way of Water is also on the best picture list it did bonkers at the box office I don't feel this way about Avatar (laughs) The Way of Water yeah
0: let's talk a little bit about it okay so you were not here for Avatar what other movies on the best picture list were you just not excited about or actively hated I will go, I'll, I'll go
2: there and I'll just say, not a fan of the Banshees of in, in a Sheeran. I'm just, I'm just... So and how, I, how
0: do we pronounce that? Full disclosure. <laughs> um, I, I believe it's
2: in a Sheeran in and Sheeran, I think I've been mispronouncing yeah. it and I think I mispronounced it in a room with uh, Martin McDonough, actually, oh, no. and I think I mispronounced it oh, that well, day.
0: One of our producers, Jordan Marie, called it the Banshees of Ed Sheeran. Oh,
2: I know. <laughs> that's what <laughs> I you not know, Think of that. I mean, that would have been a better... that. Now, that I'll watch.
0: Now that's <laughs> a million... That's a
2: solid gold idea.
0: So, so for people who haven't seen this movie, movie, it takes place in Ireland, on an island, like, in the 20s. And it's just this, like, very, I think, visually lovely Mm -hmm. movie of, you know, this this quiet place with all these beautiful vistas, and it's this kind of small story about these two guys who are friends, one of which is Colin Farrell, one of which is Brendan Gleeson. And the one friend decides that he doesn't want to hang out with the other friend anymore.
1: If you don't stop talking to me. Colin! And if you don't stop bothering me, I have a set of shears at home. And each time you bother me from this day on, I'll take those shears and I'll take one of my fingers off with them, and I'll give that finger to you until I have no fingers left.
0: That that is the the driving force of the plot right there. Um and you were not a fan.
2: No, and, and I think part of it, I know Martin McDonough has just rabid fans, um, and many of whom are my dear friends, <laughs> and whose taste I completely respect. And you know what sometimes you just don't you just don't get someone, like it's just not your bag and that's me and him. That's me mm-hmm. and Martin McDonough. I just think he has a shtick and um and it's here with this one, which is he you know, he's cruel. I mean he's very funny. But it's a cruel kind of humor and it's cruel to his characters. And I think ultimately it's kind of cruel to the audience.
0: And what do you think about it, Tanya?
1: <laughs> I think the first half of that movie was one of my favorite movies of the year. And wow. then altogether, I did not feel that
0: way. Oh, interesting. That things weren't really <laughs> so turn for, for you.
1: I think the humor works for me. I mm. think that Martin McDonough's humor works for me. And I do think that in terms of the plot, I also don't want to reveal too much, but in terms of when the plot starts taking hold. And when things start to deepen a little bit, maybe that allegory deepens a bit. I think that's when I realized that I was watching a Martin McDonough. you know, I'm I'm also not entirely huge on his work, but I like the sense of humor. So that works for me. Um, so I was immediately kind of grabbed by that. I love Colin Farrell. He's, he is wonderful. Um, He's he is wonderful. wonderful in that movie. And so and so is
2: Carrie Condon, who plays his sister. She's really mm-hmm. the—to me, she was the secret ingredient. The
1: main cast was all nominated. But, Barry yeah, Reagan, right. I love him too. Mm-hmm. He was also nominated and supporting. Um, and so I think the performances, as I mentioned earlier, um, yeah. these were definitely performances that got me. And throughout the movie, I think, um, but at, yeah, when you leave the theater, I was a little iffy on whether I felt it came together for and me. And it
2: did look beautiful to your point, Martine. I mean, it was beautifully filmed and the location and just the atmosphere and the mood. You know, like I loved all the production values. I, yeah. it's, just like, it's just that it's just his sensibility doesn't vibe, doesn't chime. What did you I hate? feel like we can't
0: get too much further into it. Otherwise, yeah, we're going to give away all the spoilers. Yeah.
1: What did I? Okay, hate again. I think I keep going back to the fact that if a movie makes me feel something— then I appreciate it to some extent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make me feel something good all the time, and that movie for me is Elvis. I yeah. have a weird thing with Baz Luhrmann movies where I respect them for existing. I never enjoy them. I <laughs> well, get I mean, it.
0: So so for people who, who don't know the director by name, this is like Moulin Rouge, that yeah. like Romeo and the Juliet Romeo and Julia with Leonardo DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio back in the 90s. That they're, they're, I think his style is known for just being very frenetic. I would put that in that frenetic category that I spoke Mm -hmm.
1: about earlier.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. That's another example of that, just all
2: over the place, just, you know.
1: You know, I saw some conversation online relatively recently about how do you make um, a biopic after Walk Hard, the one that parodied the whole genre. Um, And I think that this is maybe an answer. Someone, the person in response to that was like, you just blow it up, right? Like, Hmm. you don't follow the rules at all. I think Elvis is a great example of doing whatever you want while still portraying a character. Um, You know, it was signed off by the family, so it's not necessarily such a departure from um, the story of his life. But I do think that the movie itself, it dragged on for me. Like, it was simultaneously very interesting and so boring, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is how I feel about a lot of Baz Luhrmann movies, actually. I think back to The Great Gatsby, also with Leonardo DiCaprio. This movie is visually stunning. I was, you know, I was really taken in by all the visuals in that. The soundtrack was very interesting in that one in particular. Um, I think Elvis, similarly, you know, you're overstimulated as a viewer. There's a lot going on. I think Austin Butler actually did a great job playing Elvis. Um, and as the story goes on, you know, you are wrapped into that performance. But the movie itself, you know, it's kind of from the perspective in a way of Tom Hanks' character, the manager. Hmm. And I don't know that I loved the framing. I think that did not work for me.
2: I agree. I think that was a bad call to use Colonel Tom Parker as, the, as our, our donkey. Entry into the world. Yeah, to, to take us in. And I totally agree about the freneticism of it. It was very off-putting.
0: I want to go back to another movie that, Anne, you brought up uh, earlier on in our conversation um, that I have to say – I I mean, it it sounds like – I wasn't sure if I was interpreting that that you didn't like everything everywhere all Mm -hmm. at once or if you just found the energy, like – yeah. A lot, but I, yeah, I, I, you know, I came away from that movie being like, this is the most revelatory, innovative thing I've ever seen. Um, This, like, has blown up all my expectations for what a movie could or should be. Uh, But also is divisive, I think, for some people. I don't know. Maybe, Sonia, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I went in very familiar with the Daniels. And
0: by the Daniels, you're talking about the directors of Everything, Everywhere, All at Once.
1: Anyone who has seen their... First feature, which is the one where Daniel Radcliffe plays a farting corpse, that kind of propels him across water. Right? I think that, the very a with a, a heart Swiss of man Swiss Army Man. Swiss with Army a heart man. Of it's oh, a sweet it's such movie. A great movie. It's a very similar it's movie wonderful. tonally in that it is bizarre. You know, there's an absurdity here, but beneath that, there's something. There is a story. There's something meaningful. Um, and I think that going into this movie, expecting that, and then getting that, maybe dial to eleven was good. I think I went in knowing what I was gonna get. Um, I think for me, you know, the story at the heart of this movie about the mother and daughter and the strain relationship there, um, that I thought resonated a lot, um, especially the element for me personally of it being an immigrant family. I thought that was really meaningful for me to watch on screen. Um, I do think that parts of it didn't land with me. I think ultimately I it, it's similar to Elvis. I think for me, I liked it more than I liked Elvis. But I think it is a movie that I'm glad it exists, but I maybe won't watch it again. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I. That's pretty much I agree. Some of those multiverses worked. I thought it, I. I did think it was repetitive. I am not a huge martial arts aficionado, so that was you know the. I think you know one of those scenes would have been just fine with me, and then mm. you know you just keep going back and back and back and. The some of the absurdism just got too absurd for me. You know, it was just like... The, the ev- Ratatouille
0: references. Yeah,
2: and just like everything, they just went a little too much. You know, it's just, I just feel like there are no guardrails anymore on any of these filmmakers. And so they're just doing it all and they're throwing it all up. And it's like there's no, there's no like studio mogul left anymore to say, go and cut 40 minutes, you know? But isn't
0: me, that a good thing? Well, don't we, don't we want more of the artistic freedom and not having, like, random rich white dude get, getting to say who gets to watch what in I, You in know, I would have, I, I mean,
2: I've, I've written that but now I'm reg- I'm regretting it, you know, because I feel like we saw that's what we're seeing a lot of. There's lack of needs discipline. everybody needs
0: an editor, hmm. yeah. oh, needs I, an editor.
2: Need, and maybe. I just think for audience value, I don't think it does give. You know, I just think these all could be tightened. You know, at some level, I mean, I feel like so many of these movies, even Fablemans, you know, mm-hmm. no less than Spiel- you know Spielberg needs an editor too. Like everybody can tighten it up a little bit.
0: I feel like the defense I do want to make for everything everywhere all at once is sort of to to both of y'all's points, which is that I think everyone could see different things in that movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. Like, I remember walking out of that movie and being like, oh, this was, like, that was an incredible story about what it means to be an immigrant, to, like, right. think about, mm-hmm. like, different versions of your life if you'd made different, different decisions. Um, and then the person I was watching the movie with was like, what an incredible movie about what it means to feel depression. Yeah. And, like, a depiction of That's that experience. Right. And you were talking about mother-daughter relationships, you know. That That's I, true. And I think that that is reflective of the fact that there is so much yeah. in it. I do
2: think I love Swiss Army Man, and I love the Daniels' humanism. I just think they have such soul and such heart, and that does come through here, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's just, I really appreciate that. It's like we need more of that in every aspect of our lives, including cinema. So, you know, we haven't really had a generational touchstone recently, I think, for your generation, for this, you know, and this is it. And it may not be in the language that I can relate to, but that's okay, you know? It's its own language, and people—it became a huge phenomenon, and I'm not going to argue with that, you know? I think it's
0: great. After the break, I talk with Sonia and Anne about their favorite acting performances and what movie they think will win Best Picture. We'll be right back.
1: So let's talk a little bit about the acting nominations. And
0: I would just love to hear what surprised you from the list of actors that you saw recognized.
1: I think pleasantly surprised and maybe a little bit selfishly because I had written a profile of him earlier in the season as well. Seeing Brian Tyree Henry in supporting role, I think that was great. And Um, this is a supporting role for Causeway. Causeway, Um, um, It's a film with Jennifer Lawrence. Um, It was really small, I think, released on Apple, I want to say, um, as a platform. And, and people
0: tend to know Brian Tyree Henry as Paperboy, Paperboy <laughs> in Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah, And so
1: I think, you know, having always been interested in him as an actor, I really wanted to see what he had done with that movie. And it was stunning. And I think, you know, it speaks to the variety of roles he's taken on, you know, outside of that. I mean, he has a background in theater. He's done all sorts of things. I think people probably remember him from Bullet Train this past year, too. Um, a movie that I also was like iffy on, but he stood out to me in that as maybe one of the strongest performers. Um, so seeing him recognized for a film that I don't think got any other nominations, actually, um, this season, or at the Oscars this season, that was great. I was pleasantly surprised by that. Mm. I was surprised by Paul Mescal,
2: um, mm. and pleasantly so, for, for After Sun, the movie that Sonia talked about earlier. This is and can, can you just talk a little bit about that movie? Too? Sure. It's a first-time film by Charlotte Wells. Semi autobiographical about this uh, little girl and her dad who go on a vacation to Turkey, and it's very elliptical. It's very impressionistic. You're not exactly you know that the parents have split up, and it's kind of his turn, and says he's taking her, uh, but he's clearly troubled. But you're not exactly sure how or why, and um, it never really spells it all out. You're kind of you know it's it's a very elusive movie. And in a way that I really appreciated. And Paul Mescal plays the dad. And this little girl named Frankie Corio plays his daughter in a, (laughs) I mean, just a stunning performance. She deserved a nomination, I thought. Um, And it's just a very touching little character study of these two
0: people and this guy doing his best. So Andrea Riseborough, what's going on there? Because I do not yeah. know this woman's name, and <laughs> she's now not only nominated for mm-hmm. an Oscar, but has this whole controversy about her being nominated for an Oscar. Right.
1: I mean, I I've done a bit of reporting on this. I do think she's a little bit of a scapegoat for a larger issue that the Academy has going on. Um, Andrea Riseborough,
0: and she's nominated for a movie called To Leslie.
1: To Leslie. I wanna be a good mama again.
0: She just blew all that money. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Where's she been?
1: I won the lottery. I was the one who won the lottery.
2: Help yourself. You always do.
1: So the issue here basically is that to Leslie it was not seen very widely. I think it made less than 30k, but it had a limited theatrical release. So you know there's Wait, an- less than thirty thousand. 000- yeah it, 30, <laughs> it no theaters, wow. yeah, it was primarily on-demand release. Yeah, it was it was limited, so it wasn't going to make that much to begin with. Hmm. But she's, you know, day of the nominations, people say her name, they go, "Wait, how did that happen?" People who had been paying very close attention or who just pay attention to, I guess, celebrities in general, noticed that a lot of A-listers, you know, Edward Norton, Jennifer Aniston, Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, people of that stature, had been posting about Andrea Riseborough in this movie, whether on their Instagrams, you know, some people were hosting private screenings, that sort of thing. Um, And so basically it kind of came out that Mary McCormick, an actress who's married to the director of this film, um, had kind of taken it upon herself to reach out to these peers of hers, say, hey, could you watch this movie? Could you post about it if you like it? You know, that kind of thing. And I mean, it worked, right? I don't think the issue is necessarily why is it that Andrea Risebarrow got this and how did she boot out Viola Davis for the woman king, who, you know, a lot of people believe deserved a, a shot at this as well. I think the issue here becomes what is the Academy going to allow with campaigning roles? Um, are they going to change it? How do we make it so that Viola Davis and an actress who was so good in that role can be recognized mm-hmm. with fair campaigning? You know, there's it's a system and everybody's playing the game. Um, so I just think it's a really interesting instance of you know do we need to play by the same rules all the time or is there room for those rules to change so less what you would like
0: to win but Mm -hmm. who you think will win based on a lot of these complexities that you know way more about than I do but what are your predictions for best picture and I guess for best actor and best actress in a leading role um who do who do you think is going to take home the Oscar
1: here? I've actually had a really hard time guessing that this year. I do think that in a certain era, the Fablemans would have been a surefire win. Um, but I somehow I feel like in when you get really into the awards conversation, people's brains kind of melt into this weird like Oscars <laughs> realm. I think people kind of frame Spielberg as an underdog sometimes, which is crazy to me. I mean, it's Steven Spielberg, right? Yeah. Well, but, no, but,
2: but to your point though, but— this movie did not do well, it I mean did it not did, you know general audiences didn't go, <laughs> yeah I don't have any I don't have any prediction for best picture i mean I would i one day I would have said top Gun just be just to reward that that fun and that and that bringing back people to the theater thing and but um. <laughs> I, right now, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody's I could see
1: everything everywhere winning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, you know, the Academy has been changing um, in terms of who is in the voting body in recent years. You know, since Oscar So White in 2015, they've made really visible, transparent efforts <laughs> to diversify the voting body a little bit. Um, and everybody votes on Best Picture. You know, the other categories are kind of, you know, actors vote for actors, directors vote for directors, that kind of thing. Everybody's allowed to vote for Best Picture. Huh. Um, so I do think it'll reflect, you know, the slowly changing <laughs> diversity of the academy. Do you so, think that Michelle Yeoh is the uh, is the lock for Best Actress? I think she and Kate Blanchett are really neck and neck. I actually am not sure which of them will win.
2: Well, and I think I, I actually do think because of all of the publicity, I think Andrea Riseborough is in the hunt for sure, and it, yeah. they could that could end up splitting off. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Michelle Yeoh—I mean, you know, Kate has been campaigning for Michelle Yeoh, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, Blanchette herself has been—and and Michelle Yeoh really is beloved.
0: And the sense that she has been, like— performing at an excellent level for so many years, yeah. going all the way back to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and before, and, before right. and that, like, this is something that she really deserves. And
2: she's just a class act, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's just somebody that I think people would feel fantastic about, about, well, you know, recognizing. I just
0: want to see her speech. I can
1: just oh, imagine the so speech. Right. I know. Really she's good. just,
0: she really, I
2: kind of fell for her, too, frankly. I was
1: just <laughs> like, oh, my God, you're mean. She's funny. What about actor? I think Austin Butler is going to get it. I really, really? do. Oh, yeah. Girl. And that is for... I mean for Elvis, I think that if I were to look at this list, I mean, it's hard to say in terms of precursor awards because a lot of them have been split by genres. You know, Colin Farrell will win for comedy. Austin or Brendan Fraser for The Whale will win for drama, that sort of thing. I think Brendan Fraser had this comeback narrative really going for him this year. I think everybody loves Brendan Fraser. Similarly, I think he's just a guy that you know, universally beloved, it seems. Everyone has their moment where they decided they loved him. Mine was the mummy for whatever reason. And so I do think that, you know, people love Brendan Fraser. But, but I don't think not the love whale, I was going to say, no. I don't think the whale has the same goodwill toward it. And sometimes that makes the difference. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, we talked about my thoughts on Elvis, but I do think that Austin Butler made that movie in a way that I'm not sure— Brendan Fraser, you know, his performance Mm -hmm. made up for the fact that The Whale was what it was.
0: A lot of people said it was a very difficult movie to watch. It's someone experiencing the challenges of what it is to be isolated, obese, like just having a lot of personal struggles and that it's, yeah, it's just a— a sad, hard movie, and I think maybe not what people were necessarily in the mood to watch right now.
2: Yeah, and, and to me, not that well executed, frankly, as a movie, although his performance is fantastic, but I I, I didn't think it was a particularly effective you know, dramatization of any of those things, even mm-hmm. though it's, it does plug at your heartstrings. But um, I actually was thinking Colin Farrell could take mm-hmm. it. That's true. Because he's another one who has a ton of goodwill, and I think um, got a lot of love for— um, the Penguin he did in The Batman, and a little movie called After Yang, which maybe a lot of people didn't see, but I think those who did are seeing him. It's not exactly a comeback, a classic comeback, but he is kind of coming. You know, it's sort of like, wow, you are really, oh, yes, that's right, you're really, really good.
0: Oh. Well, we'll have to see. Uh, Anne, Sonia, thank you so much for all of your insights. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk again when the Oscars actually happen and we can find out whether you guys are right. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Anne Hornaday is our chief film critic. And Sonia Rao writes about pop culture for The Post. Today's show was produced by Jordan Marie Smith. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Lucy Perkins. Thanks also to Christina Quinn. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening today and always. The Post Reports team includes Maggie Penman, Rena Flores, Ted Muldoon, Alaha Azadi, Lucy Perkins, Eliza Dennis, Alana Gordon, Ariel Plotnik, Arjun Singh, Jordan Marie Smith, Rani Svernovsky, Sabi Robinson, Emma Talkoff, Sean Carter, and Renita Jablonski. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post.